When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Hello, everyone. I am Martha Shedden, and I am so pleased to have with me here today, Devin Carroll, on the podcast. Devin is a financial planner who's passionate about simplifying social security. He is the pro that other pros call when they have a question about social security. As the major online influencer for social security, Devin educates consumers through social media, which includes the Devin Carroll Simplifying Social Security YouTube channel, his Facebook group, online workshops, blogs, and his website, Social Security Intelligence. The demand for Social Security advice is demonstrated by the more than million people that read his blog and watch his YouTube channel each month. In addition, I'm so pleased to announce that our organization, the National Association of Registered Social Security Advisors, is now the sponsor of Devin's new call-in show, called the Devin Carroll Show. Welcome, Devin. It is so great to have you on the podcast. Martha, thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me on. So I want to start from the beginning. I know I've heard a little bit about this, but I want you to tell us your story. How did you become a financial planner and specifically one who's so passionate about Social Security? All right. This is a bit of a long story, so I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to cut some of it out because I don't uh, I don't want people dropping out on us. <laughs> That's okay. I know it's a good one. <laughs> so, you know, I got my start in the financial advice business uh, with one of the big firms that uh, you know you see these firms in just about every city. And I don't want to name names. Uh, they're a decent firm for sure, but uh, you know, I spent I spent about eight years with them. And I decided to make my exit in uh, 2010. I came to the decision in 2009, spent about a year in planning. And in 2010, I uh, made my exit. By 2012, I finally decided, okay, the transition is over. You've moved your business over. The clients who were going to follow you have followed you. What's next? And the truth is, uh, it wasn't a business that at that point was sustainable. Hmm. It wasn't a business that had enough clients for me to run a business the way I wanted to and provide the living that I wanted to for my family. So I knew I had to do something. Uh, I just didn't know what that would be. 
you know, while I'm sitting there trying to figure it out and, and looking at different marketing options and thinking about all these things, in my office walks a friend of mine who's an attorney. And he starts asking me a few questions about Social Security that he had heard from a speaker at a conference that he had attended. Now, this was back in 2012 when restricting an application, file and suspend, that was all in its heyday. Yeah. When he started asking me about this stuff, I had no idea what he was even talking about. Now, mind you, at that point, I had been helping clients for nearly 10 years with retirement and planning their retirement. And yet, here he was, someone who didn't even work in my space directly, telling me some things about Social Security that I should have known. So at first, I was a little bit embarrassed. I thought, man, I should have known this stuff. But then the more I thought about it and the more I did some research into it, the more excited I became because I realized that, wait a minute. Yeah, you didn't know this. You should have known this. But guess what? No one else, no one else knows it either. There are no other financial planners out there who are helping their clients with Social Security. And so I dug in. I went back and I relearned everything I should have known about Social Security and then some. For some reason, it, it set a hook deep in me that, you know, here we are now right at 10 years later, and that hook is still in me. I love studying about the nuances of Social Security, looking at the rules. And, you know, some have called me an expert, but the truth is I'm, I'm still just a student. Never a month that passes where I'm not researching Social Security and I come across some rule some provision. And I think, no way. How have I missed this for 10 years? Uh -huh. So I'm constantly learning this stuff. And then as I learn, I share it with my audience on the YouTube channel uh, or on my blog, Social Security Intelligence. And I'm, I'm very happy now to be able to share that with the, with the people who are members of the National Association of Registered Social Security Advisors. And, um, you know, I, I can't wait to get that jump started and jump in there and get this thing moving. Well, we're certainly glad you're with us on that. Um, do you hear of claiming decisions in your, your call-in shows, which is relatively new, but, and I know a lot of people contact you. Do you hear of decisions that people have come to regret in regards to their social security and, what can they do about these claiming decision regrets? So, yeah, I do hear a lot of people who have made mistakes, some which are easy to correct, some which are, it's too late to correct, you know. And what I like about the call-in show, as opposed to YouTube, you know, I get, I don't know how many comments I get every day in the YouTube channel, but it's a lot and it's certainly more than I can keep up with. Uh -huh. you know, in addition to the YouTube channel, we have the Facebook group that now it's getting close to 18,000 members. And so, you know, there's just no way I can keep up with that, but I get to see what a lot of people are thinking. But what I really like about the call-in show is more than see it, I get to talk to them. And it's with those individuals that I really get some of the, uh, some of the details to find out what went wrong and why it went wrong. So, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll find people that, that filed for benefits because they thought they weren't going to go back to work. And then they did. And the earnings limit kicks in if they're under full retirement age. Um, you'll find people that filed for benefits because they were just given bad information. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's people that file for benefits because they think the Social Security system is going to go bankrupt. There's a lot of reasons that people are making bad decisions. 
Um, and they are correctable up to 12 months after you file. So, you know, if in that 12-month window you say, wait a minute, that was a dumb thing I did. I want to undo that. You can. You can withdraw your application, pay back all the benefits that's been paid, and your benefit will be reset just as if you never filed. But once that 12-month window passes, it's too late. And for, let's say, the earnings limit, for example, for those individuals who are past that 12-month window and decide to go back to work, that can get to be a nasty deal. Yeah. Because when you have the Social Security Administration tracking your earnings, typically in arrears, they're yeah. looking back, and then they're stopping a current benefit for prior work, and then you're trying to decipher what information they're using to stop that benefit, it gets really convoluted really quickly. And so you don't know if the benefits you're getting are the right amount of benefits or if what they're withholding was calculated with the right calculation. And so you just kind of have to trust what they're doing. So I always, you know, if people want to talk about, Devin, what's the one mistake I can avoid making? And that is, if you're under full retirement age and you think you're going to have earnings in excess of the limit, don't file. Just stay away from it. Yeah. Because those, the, you know, I've seen those overpayment notices come to people five, six, seven years later with them saying that, hey, we've overpaid you. You shouldn't have received benefits in this year. You owe us $20,000. If you don't want to write us a check, that's fine. We'll just stop your benefit <laughs> until it's paid back. And at that point, you're, you're over a barrel because there's not much you yeah. can do. Yeah. So you have to just say, okay, uh, can we work this out? And you can usually work out some payment options once, once it's determined that they are correct. But a lot of people incorrectly think, no, wait a minute. You're the one that made a mistake by continuing to send me a payment. So that's on you. No, it's not. They will absolutely come back and take that overpayment back from you. So if you're under full retirement age and you still have earnings, don't file. Yeah, that's a big one. It is. And I'm wondering if this past year and a half going on two years with the pandemic where some people lost their jobs or they've quit their jobs and um, they could fall into that situation because now they have a new job and maybe they started. I also know some some clients that we do analyses for, they they do have that option that if they've gone past that 12 months, then at their full retirement age, they can suspend. And a lot of people don't know about that. And that that gets their benefit growing. But it's not just the money for paying it back, but it's like you described the horrible inconvenience and frustration of dealing with it, with that bad decision. Right. So are you seeing any trends over these last going on 10 years um, that you've been doing your show and, and helping people with how they're handling their social security? Do you, for instance, do it seem like fewer people are claiming at 62 than they were 10 years ago? You know, I haven't seen the numbers from the Social Security Administration since I think 2015. Mm. They may have a new study that's out, but I haven't I haven't seen that yet, and and I've looked for it. So if they have it, they they buried it somewhere. But in that report in 2015, they showed that the vast majority of people are simply filing as soon as they can, right? So uh, somewhere around a third of people are filing at 60. Or, yeah, at 62. 
Right. And that's because that the first opportunity they have to file for benefits is at 62. And then as you look between 62 and full retirement age, the vast majority of other people are filing there. And that's just because that's when they stop work. And again, that becomes the first date of eligibility. And so they file. I do think, though, that one of the trends we're seeing is that people are getting more educated. You know, uh, a lot of the articles that are out there, Martha, the articles that you put out there, uh, if you look at just Motley Fool, for example, a lot of their content now is on Social Security because, number one, they know that it's going to get a lot of clicks and a lot of reads, but that's good. Uh, A lot of people are highly interested in that topic. And so there's a lot of education out there now that there wasn't, you know, not certainly as much as there was 10 years ago. And so I think people are making more informed decisions. And now when they go file, they're able to spot mistakes from the Social Security Administration a little faster than they were before. And so if they're told something that's inconsistent with their understanding of the rules, they're able to say, wait a minute, I just read in Devin's article or Martha's article or on Motley Fool or wherever that it's supposed to be this way. And you can get the folks at the Social Security Administration sometimes to start backpedaling pretty quick and say, well, let me check on the rules because they're pretty good about, not all of them, certainly, but some of them are pretty good about saying, this is the rule, you know, and I think inside they're going, I think, you know, but I'm going to say this is the rule because I'm the person on this side of the desk. And so they give you these rules and, and a lot of people just say, okay, and they go along with it. Uh, but I think we have a more educated base now of people who are filing for benefits. And that is in large part due to your YouTube video. Well, I, would, I, would I don't say. know about large part. Oh, I think so. I think so. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> so you're seeing then over the course of this time that you've been doing it, that retirees are more aware of the importance of making a correct social security claiming decision. Yep. I would say absolutely. Uh, yeah. Most of them are paying more attention to it and they're understanding it's, you know, this may not be a do-it-yourself project. This may be something I need to get help with, you know, with an individual that specializes in social security, somebody that, that has some training there. Maybe I need to sit down with them and let them examine it and make sure there's no blind spots that, uh-huh. you know, just in my reading I, uh, that I've missed. Because, you know, Martha, if you look at the Social Security Administration website, it's a mostly helpful website as long as you know what you're looking for and you know the questions to ask. But if you have a general issue that's somewhat specific to your case and you go on the site, it's pretty easy to feel like you're in this circular loop of confusion because one thing will say this and then it leads you back to this, which takes you to this. And next thing you know, you've got what feels like three or four possible answers, none of which are the same to your one question that you went on there with. Right. So. I think last time I checked, the uh, SSA.gov had over 100,000 web pages indexed. So it's a massive site. And looking for information on there can seem like you're drinking out of a fire hose because there's so much information there that it's hard to pick out just the stuff you need to make it apply. So, yeah, I I think a lot of people are making more informed decisions, and they're doing that in large part by getting help. Uh, from someone who understands the program and at least understands that it's probably a bigger decision than just going in and filing because that's the age that feels right. Right, right. Um, 
I totally agree with you about the ssa.gov website. I think it's amazing the, the information they have. But like you said, it's just knowing what questions to ask. Right. And even a slight rephrasing of the question gives you a different answer. And as much as you and I might understand it, I still get caught in that that loop of you know trying to figure out exactly what I'm looking for, the answer to what I'm looking for. Um, over the years, can you share uh, something with us that you've learned or discovered in your work that listeners would be surprised to know? Oh, wow. You know, there's, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the rules that pertain to uh, public servants, teachers, firefighters, police officers in some states, you know, where those people are paying into a pension plan instead of Social Security. Right. That was a whole little sub niche of social security that, you know, at first when I'm out there talking about file and suspend and restricting an application and I would get these questions on the windfall elimination provision or government pension offset. I know I had the deer in the headlights look. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 what are you talking about? You know, don't ask me hard questions, please. And so getting in and learning some of that stuff was really drove down deep a lot of the social security knowledge that I have now because it required me to have a very good understanding of how the program works because really those other rules modifies the original program. And so that, yeah, that was one of the things that I learned that, that kind of changed things for me. But I mean, along the way, I've certainly made some mistakes too with clients where I've told them one thing and then I've had to go back and go, wait a minute, I'm not positive that's the way that that works. You know, so for example, uh, the, uh, had, had someone, this was about a year and a half ago, I think. And this was one of those discoveries that I made that we were talking about a moment ago and why I still consider myself a student of social security and not an expert because I'll come across these things. And all of a sudden I realize that, wait a minute now, no, there's no way it's been this way. So I was, um, I was looking at the monthly earnings test. Now, the monthly earnings test begins to apply, generally speaking, in the grace year, which is generally the first year of retirement. All right. Now, for self-employed people, there is an additional test of hours spent in the business. Now, what I did not know was that I thought the hours spent in the business applied to the full duration of the earnings test. So, all the way from... 62 all the way up to their full retirement age. And so the advice that I gave this guy was about, you know, how he needed to manage his time. And I was wrong because it only applies in the first year of retirement or in that grace year, which may not even be a full calendar year. It may just be a partial calendar year. Right. So, it looks again, like months, doesn't it? Yes. It's an obscure example, something that may not apply, but it's those little nuances yeah, they are so easy to miss. And had we not caught that and he would have gone the rest of his, you know, all those years under full retirement age, having to manage his, the time that he spent in the business. Well, that could have cost him revenue. It could have cost him, you know, income that he was being paid out because of the way he had sold the business. So again, you know, it just is a testament to getting someone to help you that number one, has a good understanding of the system, but number two is not scared to jump in and study and has a familiarity with those rules. You know, it, it's like treating a medical condition that you haven't treated before. 
Yeah. I can't do that, right? I don't have enough understanding of the medical rules to do that. But I have enough basic background information to be able to jump into the rules and spot something quickly that doesn't really line up with what I thought. Uh Uh, It would be very difficult to do if I had no understanding. So, you know, it goes back to using a planner that has a good knowledge of Social Security and uh, getting them to to help you build that plan. Um, You mentioned your uh, before about the pensions. And um, I had a call from a financial advisor who one of their clients, he was in um, his 80s, I think. He had had a teach a teacher's pension that he had um, rolled over years ago, like back in 2010 or so. And the rollover counted, it should have counted against his, as a lump sum on his uh, social security. And so here it was these many years later and social security just discovered he had this and talk about the repayment he was going to be faced with. Those pension rules are really, really complicated. And there's, there's all those little nuances, but uh, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming. I feel like I, I'm always so surprised, like you've said, when I discover something that I wasn't even aware of, and I've been doing this for, for 10 years. So as much as we do or do not know what, if you had the power to how to extend the social security program for the indefinite future, what, what changes would you make and why would you make those? Oh, that's a difficult question. Let me tell you why. Change is going to come with pain for someone because it doesn't matter if you have a $5 million IRA, you still want the social security benefits that you've paid into the system for. And you certainly need that if you have a $5,000 IRA, right? Right. So it comes down to, you know, are we going to start judging need? I don't want to be that guy that says, well, you need it. You don't. Yeah, I don't like the direction that goes. But I personally think that may be the way the system is going to go. I think that it's going to come down to some more advanced means testing than what we have in the system now. Because if we look at, for example, the system by which Social Security benefits are taxed, that is plain and simple, a means test. It simply says that if you have certain levels of income, you have to give back certain portions of your benefit. Right. And you do that through the taxation system. So it's an already built-in system that's there, that's waiting. And you could say that, yeah, but Devin, there's a rationale between taxing 50% and 85% of your Social Security. Uh, There wouldn't be a rationale for increasing that beyond that amount. And to that, I respond by telling people that before 1983, when 50% of benefits potentially became taxable, Mm -hmm. There was no rationale for taxing them then either. Well, I don't want to use the word rationale. There was certainly no precedence for it. In fact, there were some specific treasury rulings that said you can't tax Social Security benefits. That's how it was all that time. So they went back and they decided, well, let's reexamine this now. Maybe, Maybe we misinterpreted something here. And they determined, yeah, okay, we can tax up to 50%. And then as you move on down the road, 
1993 comes along. Well, let's look at this again. The system's in trouble. Uh, okay, we can tax up to 85% of Social Security benefits and in, in, have that included as taxable income. So we can certainly see then how these, these changes get worked into the system. I really don't know what the final solution is going to be. I really don't. But I cannot foresee individuals with high levels of income and high savings amount continuing to receive Social Security benefits in the future. Now, I'm not saying I, don't, I think that's right, uh, because frankly, I don't. I think that if you've paid in the tax, yeah. then you should be able to receive a benefit. Um, otherwise, it becomes a welfare program. That's what I was going to say. And that's, I mean, one of the reasons Social Security has such broad support is because it, it's not that. It's right. For, it's for everyone. That's right. You pay into it, you receive benefits. And don't you think, though, that there's, well, for instance, maximum taxable earnings. Why yeah. are we, you know, when, when that was set, it was with the um, understanding that we're going to cap it at the level that is covering about 90% of retirees uh, or 90% of workers, excuse me. And so now that hasn't gone up enough over the years and we're down to 83 or 82%, I think. So, I mean, that seems like something that could be changed or eliminated as it is for, uh, for Medicare that could really potentially increase the trust funds. Do you agree with that? Well, I certainly think that's one of the changes that's on the table and that's being discussed. Um, I do think that that's not going to be without its own repercussions for changing that, though. Right. You know, if we think through this for a minute, uh, right now, the Social Security formula works in that, you know, for anything below the first bin point, you get 90% credit to, to your benefit. For amounts between the first and second, you get 32%. And then for amounts over the second bin point, you get 15% credited to your benefit amount. So what I have seen in, in multiple research papers is looking at the various options. If we increase the maximum taxable earnings, okay. what do we do with those earnings? Do we credit those to their future social security benefit? Or do we just say, sorry, you've lost that money? Because you're saying that additional money is only at the 15%. Right. And so do we leave yeah. that 15% uh, multiplier in place? Do we add right. another multiplier that's 5% or do we just say you don't get anything in return, which also frankly goes back and violates the entire intent of the system. If you're making people pay in taxes and they're receiving no benefit for it. Right. So then we have to look at, okay, so how long does that actually extend the longevity of social security? If we continue giving credit for those earnings? And the answer is not very far. Uh -huh. You know, one of the more popular uh, proposals that I've seen is to have this donut hole approach. Right. Where, you know, right now it's a hundred, what is it? 142,000, 144,000. I cannot keep up with these numbers on a year to year basis. <laughs> and they're going to change next month. <laughs> I have to look at my cheat sheet. every time. <laughs> $142,800 is the current maximum taxable earnings. And so for anything above that, currently, you're not paying 
the Social Security portion of your FICA taxes on that. Right. So what they've proposed is to have that tax kick back in at 400000 And so, for example, if that was in place this year, you would pay tax up to 142 and then there'd be no tax up to 400 And then at 400 and above, it would kick back in and you'd start paying tax on that amount. But this first bracket is set up to increase based on the average wage index. So as, as the nation's wages change, and generally that's going to go up 3 to 4% per year, and eventually you would get to the point, I think it'd take about 23, 24 years, to where both of those would be level and all earnings would be subject to the FICA tax. And does that proposal for the... Um the 400,000 with the donut hole, does that involve any recalculation of the PIA, the primary insurance amount, those bend points? I haven't seen that it does. Well, so there's a few different, that's, that's the one thing they haven't worked out with that. And so I believe it was the uh, Congressional Budget Office, or maybe it was the uh, Federation of American Scientists with their Congressional Research Service uh, reports that they put out. I'm pretty sure that's who did do the analysis on that donut hole and what they found was that if they, if they leave the current system in place and they just say, you know, if you pay taxes, we're going to give you credit just as the system is designed now, that adding the donut hole approach would extend the longevity of the trust fund by about four years. That's not very much. It's not. But it does sound fantastic for headlines. It sounds great that we're making them pay their fair share, but it really doesn't do anything. And no. so- We've got to have more than Band-Aids, and we've got to have more than these, these little approaches that don't really fix anything. Yeah, We've got to come back and have meaningful reform. And again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning when you asked me the question. Meaningful reform is going to come with pain for yeah. someone. Someone. So I yeah. struggle, frankly, Martha, with what do I tell my clients who are 50 and below about Social Security? You know, I don't want to be a Pollyanna about this. I don't want to say you have nothing to worry about. Social security system has always been here and it will always be here in the future. I'm not so sure that's accurate. If you look at your social security statement, it clearly says that Congress has changed their laws before and reserves the right to do so in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, there have been people who were going to get a certain social security benefit and take it in 1983, for example, And then they retired, say they retired in 1990, and all of a sudden, this benefit amount that they were going to get has been reduced by the windfall elimination provision. Or maybe they were expecting to get a spousal or survivor benefit, and now the government pension offset is applied to them. Uh Uh, There have been law changes that have happened to reduce the amount of benefits that you can receive. Yes. Based on other factors and other types of income that you're receiving. So, you know. Some of the other proposals are raising the full retirement age or uh, raising the initial age of eligibility. Right. You know, that's, that's got issues as well. If you raise the initial age of eligibility, you're going to see an increased application rate for disability benefits. So you're going to see that system, which is already in a heap of trouble on its own, start to have more people come through the system. Because right now what happens is when people turn 62 – in many cases, they'll often have a qualifying disability, but they don't want to go through the hassle. It may be that they don't want to go through the hassle or they don't like the stigma of being disabled. And so they just say, I'm going to file for retirement benefits. 
Instead, if they're filing for disability benefits, they're getting, you know, 100% of their benefit now. Yeah. And at that point, then that's a further drain on the combined OASDI trust fund. Right. Uh, You know, you would probably also see more people living close to or at the poverty line because there are people who don't meet the requirement for disability, but they, they either don't work or they can't work. Yeah, and so yeah. you can see some of the other needs-based programs start to have a larger draw on them as well. And so they've got to balance all of this out when they're, when they're trying to figure out how do we fix this program. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is going to be. And I don't know how I would fix it if, if I was sitting in that seat either. Not yes. without, I tell you this, my fix would really make a lot of people mad. Uh, but I don't think it's possible to do it without that. Whatever it makes you some, somebody mad. Yeah, without someone losing benefits. Whichever politician decides to pick this up, they will be forever branded as the one who cut Social Security because it's going to be a Social Security cut for one group or the other, period. But if it's phased over time, like in 83, when they raised the retirement ages, full retirement ages, it was for folks who were quite young. They were 20. They were just starting their careers. So, and the tax rate, the 6.2%, that hasn't gone up in a long time either. But again, that's who wants to be known as the person that raised the tax rate. Right. Yeah. Absolutely right. As a financial planner, advisor, uh, based on your experience and knowledge, what are the top two or three most important takeaways for financial professionals who are helping their clients with social security. You mentioned that you had worked all that time and uh, were not even aware of social security. It wasn't on your radar. So how would you advise the, those in our audience who are financial professionals helping clients? So there's a few things here. Number one is that, you know, if you look at the statistical numbers, we know that about 40% of the average retiree's income comes from Social Security. If you break out the ultra wealthy out of that number and you look at just the mass affluent crowd, then you're going to see that it's slightly over half of their retirement income is coming from Social Security. So this is a really important topic that you have to get right. You can't screw this up with your clients. You got to know how spousal benefits are calculated. And you can't just have this, well, you get half of the higher earning uh, spouse's full retirement age benefit. And that's not the way it works. You got to know how it's calculated if one files at one age and the other files at the other age. You have to know how survivor benefits are calculated. Uh, You've got to know how the widow's limit works. You've got to understand what happens if one spouse files early. How does that impact the other spouse? You know, uh, and just a quick side note on that widow's limit. I've seen, I've seen multiple cases where a surviving spouse will limit out under the widow's limit, the retirement income benefit limitation rule. They will limit out at around 63 years old, and yet they've continued to delay their Social Security decision because they think their benefit is increasing, and it's not. It stopped increasing at 63 because of that rule that says that you're going to receive the higher of the amount they were receiving or 82.5% of their benefit amount. 
So that's one of the important things that you have to know. So you got to know spousal benefits. You got to know survivor benefits because if you're building retirement plans and you don't fully understand all of the income streams and how they'll be affected under different scenarios, well, you've got an incomplete plan. So you, you got to have a knowledge of how to do that. And then two, you know, there's some client retention notes here that, that should be paid attention to. Um, once I got into social security, I certainly didn't start trying to, pick off client for my peers locally, <laughs> but I didn't have to locally. Yeah. Because as my audience started to figure out getting help with retirement planning was not a local problem. Like it would be if I needed to get my sink fixed or my air conditioner fixed, those are local problems. I have to have somebody come in for, they figured out pretty quickly that, Hey, I can engage this guy on the phone. He has a deep understanding of social security. And unfortunately there were some advisors out there that lost clients, not because yeah. I threw them under the bus. It's just simply because I understood Social Security and how it would work in their overall plan, and they didn't. Yeah. So if you want to retain clients and deepen the value your relationship that you offer them, you need to understand how all of this works, period. Well said. I couldn't agree more. And a, a footnote to that, as a woman, I know I've heard a statistic too, how a huge amount, I think it's 70% of women whose husbands die or they divorce, they change advisors. Yeah. So it's a pay attention. If you work with couples, pay attention to both of them. Right. And, <laughs> and you know, Mark, I would think at this point, I would hope that most advisors get that that they're not, you know, ignoring the woman. And hey, let me just talk to the man while we're here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a recipe for going home and the wife to start laying in some seeds of we need to move. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the funny thing is, though, a lot of my top relationships are driven by women. Yeah, they're, they're the ones not, that are curious. They have yeah. the questions. Yeah. yeah, they're not driven by the men. It's driven by, by the women and the, the guys are off doing whatever it is they do. And they're the ones coming to my office. They're the ones who understand what the filing strategy needs to be. Uh, I mean, if I was ignoring those people, I know, uh, I know that it would, that relationship would stop quickly uh, because they just, they wouldn't have it. Yeah. But I would say back to, you know, while we're talking about the differences in genders here, back to social security, you know, there, there's lots of statistics out there that talk about what kind of wealth that the women control. And just my own experience, you know, just as I was saying just now, uh, most of my largest relationships are driven by the woman of the house. But statistically, Social Security is more important to women than oh. it is men. Yeah. So if doing this either as a client retention strategy or as an attraction strategy, trying to get new prospective clients to pay attention to you. And try to make yourself sound different than all the other advisors out there. Doing so with Social Security is going to give you more of a voice and more authority and more influence with them than you're going to have without talking about Social Security because it's a more important issue for women. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, it's been so wonderful to talk with you, Devin. What, where can people go to follow you to find out more about your work? Um, I know we can just Google you on YouTube, but um, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so the YouTube channel is certainly one way. 
socialsecurityintelligence.com is another way. That's my blog where we talk about, um, you know, most of those are articles where we talk about social security. The other thing is I have a webinar that plays and it's how to determine the right age to file for social security. This, out of all of the questions I get, this is the question I get more often than any of them. And uh, so I, I decided, okay, I'm going to build this webinar and just put it out there to help as many people as I can. And it goes through the 10 factors that you need to think about. And I tell people that I'll bet there's at least two or three of those factors that you had not thought about before you watch this webinar. Because we talk about things like the spousal issues. We talk about taxation and with your other assets and other income. There's all of these things that you have to put in the hopper to think about before you make that filing decision. And so that, that webinar, it's about 45 minutes long, so you're going to have to have some time to, to really go through it. But it is valuable, and it's free. There's no charge for it. And that's on your website, Devin? So you can go to just devincarroll.com, and that's Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, because so many people either put one R or one L in there. But devincarroll.com, and right there, generally on the home page, you'll see a spot where you can reserve a seat for that uh, upcoming webinar. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. This has been really, really fun. You are welcome, Martha. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome.